and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. And a good evening to Aladia Karouza, who joins us again. She's been with us all week from Bangkok, Thailand, where she's doing a five-month internship uh, at the United Nations. And uh, she's also just completed her master's in, uh, in China-Africa studies. What was your master's in? Uh, my master's was in Chinese studies. With Chinese a major studies. On, um, yeah, yeah, with a major in China and international politics. And you did your dissertation on uh, Sino-Gabonese relations, and we've been talking with uh, Ladia for the past couple shows about infrastructure, about Sino-African relations in Gabon, about natural resources. And so it's uh, really a pleasure to have you back uh, later again this week. Thanks, and good evening to you guys. And uh, today we're going to be talking about one of the most interesting trends that we've been seeing in terms of news coverage coming out of the China-Africa story, uh, which is about visas. Now, this is a very, very sensitive topic, in part because largely when we talk about immigration, it's usually Chinese immigration to Africa, where the question of Chinese illegal immigration is one that's been in the news quite a bit this uh, these past few months. We've seen it uh, brought up in the uh, failed indigenization program uh, in Zimbabwe where Robert Mugabe wants to kind of shut down uh, foreign traders, mostly Nigerian and, uh, and Chinese. We've seen it in Malawi, where the government there has started to put controls on, uh, on, on migrants and, the, and merchants as well. So the small merchants, and these are the, 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 the immigrants themselves, have been a very sensitive issue from South Africa to Algeria and all points in between. Now, two stories crossed our radar this week that we thought would be of interest. Number one, uh, the Chinese government has now issued a no-visa policy for Nigerian senior officials. That's very, very interesting. Now, at the same time, Think Africa Press came out with this really fascinating story about how the difficulties of Nigerian migrants and what they're facing uh, in Guangzhou in southern China and how they are getting pressured to basically leave and they're stuck in this netherworld that in one sense they're given a visa but they then can't extend it so they're then locked in Guangzhou in a no man's land when it comes to immigration. So we're going to talk about it from both sides. Kobus, Let's first talk about the, the, the China no visa uh, coming from, from the Nigerians. Now, what I found very interesting about this, and you as a media scholar will be able to talk to this. Number one, that they're giving these, these visas to senior Chinese officials without any application. There's a no visa policy, so you just basically go. And what I thought was so interesting was how the, 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 the Chinese announced it. Um, they said that... Uh, they really put it in contrast to the West. And they said basically that China is far more generous than the West. And they pointed out the fact that Nigerians who go travel to the West are often, uh, not only do they need to have a visa, but they're often stopped at the border, they're searched. And they really highlighted the fact that China is really this, this, this you know, a really differentiating itself from, uh, from some, of its, uh, some of its international rivals. Yeah, and I think it probably played very well in Nigeria. I mean, even if it is only for for government officials, um, because there's you know kind of when you speak to Nigerians, that the fact that ha- the 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 difficulty of getting through borders is a major thing in Nigeria. I mean, Nigerians are treated terribly, um, and they you know they're questioned, they're taken to into separate rooms, they. They, you know, kind of search. It's it's a nightmare, um, and it actually pops up in Nigerian popular media as well. I was re- I remember watching, um, you know, South African TV carries um, occasionally these kind of pan African uh, comedy evenings where stand up comics from different African countries, you know, kind of do their routines. And the Nigerian um, stand up comic 
discusses and she said that you know kind of she she just kind of was riffing on all of the problems that she's had just getting to London um and you know kind of so that that I think that really plays in the, in the Nigerian kind of market that 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 gesture is is a potent one so the chinese said that this is a, a measure that underscores the trust confidence and mutual respect and there's a treasure that sovereign nations rarely confer on other nationals. So they, they really kind of put this up. Now, there was another very interesting aspect to their announcement, the way that they, uh, that they announced it, was that it came through the People's Daily in, in, in Nigeria. And, it, and let me read you a quote, and this is what I want to get your feedback on. Quote, we at the People's Daily salute the sagacity, sagacity, I think, well, it's a word that I don't even know, sagacity of China's leadership and its diplomatic establishment in making the generous gesture. We urge the Nigerian side to ensure that it is never abused. So it's interesting mm. that they, okay, number one, that, uh, we'll get to the second part, but the first part I thought was interesting how the People's Daily was used as the mechanism to announce this. It wasn't necessarily a Ministry of Foreign Affairs statement, didn't come out of the embassy, and it really shows you how media in, in, in the Chinese apparatchik, in the Chinese apparatus, is very much an extension of the state. Uh, and I thought that was a very interesting kind of method that they used to announce it. The second part was that we urge the Nigerian side to ensure that it is never abused. So there's a little hint of caution there. Yeah, you know, kind of it's, you know, <laughs> again, I think playing to certain kind of stereotypes about Nigerians and visas, you know, generally. Well, you know, <laughs> and, and, to say. you know, Elaria, let's let me play the stereotypical card here, which is, you know, if, if you let me just say that if you come into the United States and you uh, your name is Mohammed and you come from Saudi uh -huh. Arabia and you or you come from any Arab country and you're you you're wearing, you know, a, you know, head garb. Guess what? It's going to be a longer, it's going to be a longer line through security than it is for, yeah. for someone like me. I, let me tell you, I'm a white guy. I never get stopped at security for anything. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, and it's just the, in, in France and in the United States, I never get stopped. But I see Nigerians and I see people from the Middle East getting stopped. So the question is, when the Chinese make this gesture and they they do it. Are they right to challenge the stereotype, or is there any truth to the stereotype that Nigerians, you know, sometimes can be more problematic, given the fact that there is a long track record of Nigerian illegal immigration, both in Africa and elsewhere? Mm, I wonder whether this, well, it's actually um, a lot about stereotypes, as you said. I, I, I was just wondering whether this is um, another class-based dysfunction, you know, like when it comes to officials, they can go to China without a visa. Then when it comes to, let's say, normal people, then they will have problems. Isn't it some kind of class-based, um, yeah, like dysfunction or like, um, I don't know. Something. Well, that's actually so a, a very good, that's a very good point. Kobus, let me bring you in on this because one of the points that you've mentioned uh, repeatedly over the years is how the Chinese have a preference in dealing with elites, particularly in Africa. Uh, is this just an extension of their comfort zone in dealing with elites? And one of the comments that came up on our Facebook page when, when we posted this was, well, why aren't they doing this for the normal Nigerians having visa-free entry? Uh, so what's your take on that? Yeah, I think it's it's it must be you know kind of because generally it's it's actually you know doing this kind of visa free entry for elites is almost it's basically no skin of China's nose you know kind of because most elites most most of these government officials are busy people they're going to be in China for 
less than a week and they're gone. You know, kind of so um so it isn't then it's not doesn't open any kind of door to to issues of overstaying or whatever, you know, kind of it's it's an easy gesture that, that creates a lot of goodwill and has no fallout, I think. Now the choice of Nigeria to do this is an interesting point. You know, I just posted on our Facebook page today a story that Lenovo the world's number one PC maker and in, who has dreams now of being the number one smartphone uh, vendor uh, is, is singling out Nigeria as their first market to roll out seven new models of, of cell phones. Uh, the Chinese really see the Nigerian consumer market as, as real potential, as it's about to overtake South Africa as the largest economy on the continent. So, Aladia, I, I, I wonder if you think that the reason why they chose Nigeria over other countries to do this is because of they want to to basically to deepen that economic relationship, or do you think there was something else behind it? Uh, well, but I guess when it comes to the Chinese, and, and I'm, maybe I'm not supposed to say that, but there's always something else going on as well. So I guess, like, yeah, um, some other reasons are also involved, but definitely yeah, the economic factor is, like, I guess the most prominent within it. I think that's fair, Kobus, to assume that there's there's something going on here. We're not quite sure what it is. Nigeria is not a country. Yeah, exactly. so you never know what it exactly is, right? You, you like, never know you, what you it is. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, Nigeria is not a major. From what I from what I recall from the list of oil exporters to to China, it's not on the the major list. You know, most of Nigerian oil goes to Europe and the United States. And so I just I guess I was curious as to what prompted this. Now, Kobus, let's kind of turn the globe a little bit. We're going to spin the globe. And we're now we're going to end up in, in what's called Chaokudicheng, which is Chocolate City. And that is a district of Guangzhou, which is the largest city in southern China. It's the capital of Guangdong province, where there's an estimated twenty to 30,000 uh, Ni- Nigerian, but also African immigrants who are there. Now, the problem that many of the African immigrants have is that they get a visa in their home country, and that visa is issued by the ministry, the foreign ministry in Beijing. And then they get to Africa, I mean to China, they spend their six months that the visa allows, and then they go to do a renewal. The problem is, is that China does not actually have an immigration service. Uh, unlike the United States, which we have ICE, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement, uh, in other countries there's a dedicated immigration service that handles immigration issues, the Chinese don't do that. It's handled by uh, the Public Security Bureau, it's handled by law enforcement, but there is no immigration service. And as such, there is not a national registry. So what ends up happening is the Guangzhou authorities do not communicate with the people in Beijing. So what ends up happening is that they may or may not extend a visa. And so what's increasingly happening in Guangzhou is these Nigerians are being caught because they get over there, it takes time for them to do business, it takes time for them to do deals, they cannot get their business done in the six months, they go in for renewal and they can't get the renewal, but at the same time, they have extended so much of their finances in order in China that they can't leave either. So when we read this article from Think Africa Press, Living Without a Visa in Guangzhou, Kobus, it really added a new wrinkle into the, the debate. And what I found most interesting was the fact that increasingly Nigerians are leaving southern China. And there was a great quote in there which said, never go to a country where there aren't Nigerians, because if there aren't Nigerians, there isn't business. And increasingly, as Nigerians seek opportunities in other Southeast Asian markets for lower-cost labor, lower-cost production, and easier visa regulations, what does this say to you about the state of Sino-African relations as a whole and the immigration problem between the Chinese and Africans in China? 
One of the really interesting aspects of, of this whole situation, and I was also, as you, I was, I was also surprised to to hear that, you know, kind of that Nigerians are increasingly choosing, you know, kind of Vietnam and Thailand um, as, as places to, to do business. Was also, um, you know, always this, this discussion of Nigerian, particularly Nigerian immigration to China and the problems that they face there and, you know, kind of their issues with visas and, and so on. I mean, we, we've discussed it a few times. But, you know, kind of that discussion always tends to get cast in terms of, uh, you know, kind of where the Nigerians are pretty much the beggars can't be choosers, kind of, you know, in, in that relationship. And China is this impervious wall that they're trying to to climb. One of the interest, very interesting aspects of, of this article was that it made clear that there's a whole sub-economy within Guangzhou that depends on these people. A whole bunch of, of Chinese shipping agents, storage facilitators, you know, kind of documentation people in, and so on, who, who completely, whose, whose livelihoods completely depend on all of these African traders who use their services in order to get all this Chinese-made stuff back home. So, you know, kind of now suddenly, you know, kind of the, the these kind of sectors, the shipping sectors of, of the Guangzhou economy is actually facing problems, you know, kind of with, with certain kind of, you know, kind of shipping agents and so on suddenly going out of business and so on, because all of these Nigerian people can't get their visas sorted out. And for that reason, I've all kind of gone on to other other markets. I think it's it's really interesting to well, hear. Well, and this is indicative of a broader trend of, uh, of production fleeing China. You know, here in Vietnam, where I live, one of the things that I've noticed here in Saigon is the pollution is, is just out of control. I mean, in the past six months, the, qu- the quantity of pollution has gone up enormously. And when I ask people in the manufacturing sector, why is this happening? Uh, basically, there's been just a rush of factories that have been opened now in, in southern Vietnam, uh, and that's all coming down from China. Uh, Samsung now has a billion dollars of, of manufacturing here. Ten percent of all Vietnamese exports are Samsung. And that used to be made in China. Adidas, Nike, more and more are coming down here. And so the Nigerians are really just the latest in a trend uh, leaving China, in part because, A, it's difficult for foreigners, B, the, the visa questions, C, the cost of production is going up, and D, more and more people have just had enough. The Chinese do not make it easy for people to invest and to do business there. And I think you're seeing with the Nigerians the same problems that you're seeing with others. And, you know, we've seen foreigners, not just Nigerians, but Americans and Europeans and people who don't have the same immigration stereotypes that we talked about with Aladia, um, also running into visa problems. So people are increasingly having, uh, have just had enough. Now, Aladia, one of the most interesting points that comes up on our Facebook page in the discussions that we have is when we talk about illegal Chinese migration in Africa, you know, there's a very, very prominent xenophobic response that comes back out, which is basically, you know, kick the bastards out. Uh, and I find that always very interesting when we talk about migration because, you know what, that door swings both ways. So we have a, a problem of illegal migration or visa, you know, extension in China among Nigerians and other Africans. But as an Italian, you know full well that migration and immigration from both Chinese and Africans in Italy is an equally sensitive issue. And so one of the things I always try to remind people is to say, listen, if you're going to play that xenophobic card in your home country, well, don't forget that there's a good chance that a good number of your own people are in a place like Rome or they're a place like you know, Madrid or Paris or New York or Amsterdam, and that can be pushed back on you as well. Exactly, exactly. And, I, and and once again here, it's also a matter of perceptions. Like, you know, like, um, 
the, 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 the people might have different perceptions of immigrants. And then once again, this visa thing that is happening, for instance, in Guangzhou, is happening again at the government level. And so it's, it's, it's happening completely uh, regardless of what, what people actually do or think. So once again, it's, it's also a matter of perceptions and stereotypes. But on, on the flip side of this, Cobus, there is some good news. So we're not only going to end some, some bad news. Uh, you, you sent out a, a travel uh, article that said, fabulous destinations with no visa trouble. So Chinese ordinary passport holders, I love that, that headline, by the way, fabulous. Um, so, uh, so Chinese do not always have the easiest time getting a visa. Now, interestingly enough, the French government has just reduced the, the time it takes to get a visa for Chinese nationals from up to two weeks now to a maximum of 48 hours. And, and, and the Chinese, uh, what the, the Chinese bring to France is they're now, uh, I think, I, if, if I'm correct now, they're the number one source of foreign tourism to Paris. Uh, and they also spend more per capita than any other group. So the French recognize that in their slumping economy, they have a whole bunch of Chinese coming in, spending a lot of money. You know, there's been some tensions in Paris about the Chinese coming in. Some hotels have been reluctant and have had some, you know, PR disasters saying they don't want Chinese staying there. But nobody turns away the Chinese when it comes to their spending. So you pointed out that even African governments, um, you know, the Seychelles, Mauritius, okay, and then Bahamas and San Marino, not African, but nonetheless, is San Marino in Africa? No, that's what I thought. Italy, that's what I thought. I was like, <laughs> that didn't seem like Africa. But you know, there's those tiny islands off this coast of West Africa that are, you know, former Portuguese. So I figured, okay, you know, this is out of yeah, my way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But okay, so two of those are definitely African. So Seychelles and, and Mauritius uh, are visa free. And, and so in that sense, they're, um, and my guess is they're doing it for the same reason the French are, for, for tourism and to be able to attract more Chinese tourists to come. Uh, so, Kobus, do you, do you foresee the day? When a country like South Africa, which is doing its darndest right now to attract more Chinese tourists, uh, may open the, the doors as well to a 15-day tourist visa? Yes, I, I do. Um, I, I'm not sure actually what the visa situation for Chinese citizens are in South Africa at the moment. I know for lots of other people it's it's visa-free. Um, but, uh, yeah, you, totally. Um, you know, kind of the... the um, Tourism industry completely depends on you know, on on making it easy, you know, kind of for people. Especially in the case of South Africa, where you know South Africa has such a kind of heap of bad perceptions going against it, you know, kind of you need to make it make it as easy as possible. So, um, so I think I, I can well imagine that would happen. Um, you know, I think also Africans tend to be quite sympathetic to this issue um, because, for example, as a South African, I need visas to most places I go to, and I mean I travel a lot. Um, um, and the amount of uh, printing out bank statements and having them, you know, kind of having them stamped and scanning them and, you know, and so on. I mean, it's, it's a nightmare. And, you know, kind of and, and you, you can you can have a long conversation with South Africans about which particular kind of northern hemisphere country is the most abusive in terms of in terms of its visa uh, application process. Surprisingly abusive Canada, by the way. Um, yeah. So. Um, so anyway, um, you know. You know, kind of says so there's a lot of resentment in the southern hemisphere about this. You know, kind of and about about this kind of situation of, you know, kind of person living in New York going, oh, you know, kind of maybe I'll go to France over the weekend. Boom, they're there. Yeah. You know, kind of no problem. And for you, it's like a two months of intense planning. You know, kind of in order to do it. So um, and kind of buying a ticket against against you know kind of a, an unhappy kind of exchange rate, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you know, kind of so I think you know, kind of it it plays. 
it plays well in terms of south-south cooperation and, and building links and building relationships and so on to, to, to keep, you know, going to make as many, you know, to take as many visa restrictions away as possible, I think. But I'm going to go back to the point that you made on an earlier show when we were talking about the environment. And you mentioned that the Chinese tend to respect the laws where they are in place and where they are enforced. And I think the same can be said when it comes to immigration. Those African countries that don't enforce their own immigration laws uh, will suffer higher rates of Chinese illegal immigration than those that do. And so I think it's very interesting to kind of keep this in the broader context. Where you see uh, a more regulated environment, you will probably see better enforcement of immigration. And you'll probably see then better and more higher confidence of letting Chinese come in on a visa-free status, such as what we've talked about with Nigeria among the elites, but also potentially in South Africa among tourists. So again, this is one of those issues where there are issues on both sides. There's the domestic regulatory enforcement of, of, of immigration rules. And at the same time, there is the respect by the Chinese of those immigration rules. And Kobus, to your final point, which I just want to make very important distinction here. When we say the word Chinese, there's a very, very big distinction between the individual small actors and the state-owned companies and the state itself. We've been using the word as a shorthand, but it is an inaccurate shorthand, to say the least. So I want to put that out there as a disclaimer. Uh, Aladia, I'm going to give you the last word. When we look at immigration as an issue, and again, coming from a country that is that is dealing with very difficult immigration issues itself, um, not only from, by the way, from Africa, but also coming from Turkey and from Greece uh, as well, what's your best advice for those when they start kind of hurling out the insults about and the insecurities about immigration? What's your best advice for them? Oh, that's a big question. Like, uh, first try not to punch those people and then try to think that, yeah, exactly, as you said, like, these kind of things happen all over the world. It's not just about them. Um, it's, it's also about their own country. So um, I would say, well, I, I have um, a suggestion for, for, for the government more than more than for the people is that they should try and link um better the, 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 the speeding up process for, for visa giving and visa extending. That's actually something which is mentioned in the article about Guangzhou. There's the, the sometimes, um, especially in China, um, a mismatch between the visa giving and visa extending system. And this is something um, that then needs to be improved. And so this, this is going to also facilitate and ease like uh, immigrants when they come to uh, any country in the world. Alaria Carroza is doing a five-month internship at the United Nations in Bangkok. She is a graduate of the School of Oriental and African Studies in London and hopefully going to be pursuing a PhD uh, in China-Africa studies there. She reached out to us uh, via, I think it was Facebook, uh, but also via email. And this is something, an invitation we want to put out to everyone else. If you are a master's or PhD candidate or you just happen to be working in the China-Africa space, Kobus and I would love to hear from you. This is really an open forum for everybody. Uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, we had uh, Chris Alden of the South African Institute of International Affairs. We've had uh, some of the top, dip, uh, you know, thinkers from the, 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 the in China from CAS. Uh, so we have from big think tanks all the way to master students, all the way to business people. And, and we really like to have that diversity in order to provide you, our audience, with a wide range of opinions and perspectives. So, Eladia, thank you so much for reaching out to us. Thank you so much for being with us all week to talk about uh, the, the top issues in China-Africa relations. And we wish you the very best in your admissions to a PhD program of your choice. 
thanks to you guys and thanks for uh, having me on and, the show. And if people want to follow you on Twitter, what's the best way they can find you? It's twitter.com slash Ilaria underscore Carrozza. Wonderful. And Kobus, where can people find you if they want to follow what you're reading and writing these days? Um, I'm on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash China Africa Project, and you'll see my name in brackets when I respond. And I'm also on Twitter at Stadenesque, that's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And following both Kobus and I on Twitter is a great way to stay on top of the latest stories in China-Africa relations. Uh, I'm at E-O-Lander, E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R, or of course you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash China Africa Project. We're posting between four and eight articles a day with discussions that follow, so it's a great way if you're a student to kind of get involved in the issues, but at the same time, if it's just something you want to show up in your news feed and use it kind of like a news ticker to kind of stay on top of the issues, it's a perfect way to do that. And of course, if you want to follow our podcast, just go into iTunes, uh, search for China Africa or China Africa Project. We'll pop right on up there, subscribe, and then hopefully you can leave us a comment as well. So we'll be back again soon with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.